good to be with you, Northern Hills. Good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm uh, the Connections Pastor here at Northern Hills. If I haven't met you, I totally want to. So come find your way to me after service. I'd love to uh, get to know your story, what's brought you here. Connections Pastor just means that. We're trying to connect you to this awesome family and get you plugged in, uh, see how we can um, uh, just serve you and serve you well. Well, welcome to Northern Hills. I want to welcome all of you that are here online. I want to welcome, of course, uh, you guys that are here in person as well. Uh, online folks, good to see you as well. I want to ask you a question since it's Christmas time. Have you ever been disappointed in the Christmas gift that you have received? Or have you ever had a disappointment? <laughs> I already hear laughing. Uh, or have you had, ever had a disappointment on the Christmas gift you didn't receive? Okay. Now, mine was freshman year freshman year in high school, and it was the gift that I did not receive, or at least that I didn't think I was going to receive. <laughs> I woke up hoping to go downstairs and open a box that would find the starter jacket Kansas City Chiefs, this one right here. I know, I know, I'm already setting myself up to be booed for that. I get it. But here's the thing. We thought that jacket was cool. Remember the starter jackets? In the early 90s, we wanted these jackets, and they're hideous. They're horrible jackets. I think they're probably coming back, but like this was just a, a, a picture of what one could look like. They had like, like all these kinds of different uh, broad colors to them, bright colors to them, and it was just, it was, they were sort of like, why are we wanting to go to school in these? I wanted the jacket, but I, grew, I woke up, and I would only find video games and a few other things that I had asked for as well. So I was way disappointed on Christmas morning, but there was still a chance. See, we would go from my house to my grandparents' house, and that's where some extended family would also be exchanging gifts. And sure enough, we got there, and so we began exchanging gifts and doing all the things, and no, no starter jacket. Looking at big boxes, looking at small boxes, thinking, oh, well, of course they're going to bring it to me in the afternoon. Nothing. And the rest of the day just went as a normal Christmas would. We ate, we played games, and it was getting into that place where it was the unexpected disappointment that was turning into a permanent disappointment for me. And that permanent disappointment would grow to the very end of the evening. We're getting ready to go home. I'm putting on my regular coat, boots, getting ready to head outside. And it just sort of at this point really settled in my mind. Okay, hey, my birthday's in February. Maybe that's what it's going to come. And down comes my grandpa with a box. And it's a large box. And sure enough, I open that puppy to that chief's starter jacket. I got it for Christmas, and I can tell you I was bawling. I was bawling like a baby about really receiving not only this special gift that I had wanted, but because it was so unexpected in how it came. And that disappointment quickly moved to something that I couldn't have even, even imagined for that day. It's made a memory, obviously, to this point. See, we're continuing our teaching series called Unexpected, and for those of you that have been with us, we've been talking for the last couple weeks about how God just moves in unexpected and strange ways, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Like, he just comes in, in ways we wouldn't uh, uh, expect him to challenge us or things to consider, and it's really not our job to dictate how God works. That's where this series has really landed. It's God's job to do what he wants to do and what should be happening in our lives. And so the beauty that we see in the stories around Christmas is that there are men and women that continue to engage with this unexpected God in their sphere and, and just see him wow them, something beyond what they could have ever imagined. But what happens when we experience an unexpected disappointment? Disappointment's real. 
Disappointment is something that we've all lived. Uh, to, to be disappointed is basically to have our predictions about the future, our predictions, proven wrong. Proven wrong, and, and ultimately then what comes is disappointment. And disappointment can be a small thing. Some would associate even the Christmas gift idea. Well, that's maybe a, a smaller thing. You still got some cool gifts, right? Uh, I know some of us, maybe we put a down payment on a house, and you know, we get outbid on that house. Small disappointment, not a large one, but it's still a bummer. I, oh, I pictured living in that house. We were already getting furniture maybe for that place, and I got outbid. Some of us have larger disappointments. Maybe for the COVID season, you had this relationship or a friendship, and things got tweaked a little bit over time, and, and, and they started doing their own thing, and you started doing your own thing, and, and just through a number of different circumstances, you weren't seeing one another, and you were isolated, and so that relationship that you were sort of holding on to and thinking, this is going to be a forever relationship, it's shifted. It's different, and that can be a larger disappointment that you're navigating. See, I want to talk about these disappointments because whether they're large or whether they're small, all of us have them, all of us have experienced them, and some of you right now are experiencing disappointment. And so I want to dig into them. I want to dig into them just to figure out where the, where's the root of many of these disappointments. What continues to feed them on an everyday level? And I think it's also important to consider that God may be up to something in the midst of those disappointments. That he may be up to something, and here's the question I want us to ask ourselves: What if our current disappointment is something that God is shaping if he's, if he's using that disappointment that he's, that he's molding, he's working to point you towards something even greater, something greater than you could ever imagine. And so the Christmas story that I want to look at today is about a couple that are facing disappointment. See, they're brokenhearted because they've always wanted to have kids, but they've never had them. And now they are old. They're, they're up there in age. It looks like they've totally missed out on this opportunity. Join me in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, if you have your Bibles when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Other translations that Elizabeth was barren, unable to conceive, no kiddos. Now, in this, these days, this would have been truly hard news for any, any couple. There really couldn't be anything worse for a couple to go through because having kids may, meant having someone to care for you when you got older, all right? This is all pre-401Ks. You wanted to be changing diapers so someone could change your diapers, okay? That was the key in this time. And so these, these two, having kids meant something even beyond what we maybe could even imagine because there was a continuing stake in Israel's future. That's how they understood the promises to be. So for years, Zechariah and Elizabeth had hoped for a son. But year after year, what would they cycle through? Hope and disappointment. That would be the roller coaster they were facing. And I wonder if we knew them personally, that maybe we could see Elizabeth and she'd get up one morning, maybe feel dizzy, make a phone call, feel nauseous. I think this is it. This is it. Only to have her hopes dashed. Only to be, again, living in this false hope scenario 
Maybe she had a couple miscarriages along the way. The point is, is that years would go on the cycle of hope and frustration, and they would have resolved themselves to the fact that they were never going to have children. So what turned it into an initial unexpected disappointment for them was obviously also leading into this permanent disappointment that would have set in on them as a couple. Plus, they would have to deal with all the questions. You know the questions that come when some of our disappointments enter our world. Inevitably, they would be asked, hey, did you hear? Did you hear about Zechariah and Elizabeth? They're trying so hard, but they just can't have kids. Like, I wonder why God's not answering that prayer for them. I wonder what they've done. I wonder what they didn't do. Uh, did you, did, do we really know about them? Do we know what's going on with them? And we can understand this. Chances are we've lived in something just like this. We can understand like, well, why, God, haven't you given that to me? There's many of us in here or online that have also wanted to be parents. Oh, we would make great parents. Why not us, God? God, I so want to be married. I see everyone around me already tying the knot or they're having these at least significant relationships. Why not me, God? What about, what about that promotion, God? You know how hard I worked. You know how much I've been praying for that promotion. Why can't it ever, we ever seem to round the corner financially or even with opportunities? And so it stings when we hear people say about our situations or our disappointments, I wonder what happened there. I wonder what's going on. I wonder what went wrong with them. Oh, bless their heart. Bless their heart that they're going through this, right? I used to have a youth leader, and I remember he was a bit older. He was in his 30s to mid-30s, and he was single. And this youth leader was single, and he continued to choose to be single because he was waiting for the right one. And so he would continue to faithfully serve in suit ministry, but inevitably he'd go to the weddings. They would take place here at the church, weddings that he'd be invited to, and there were older ladies, he would tell me, that would come up to him, and they would pull the bless, bless your heart card. Oh, bless your heart, you're not married yet. And he would just look at them like, because bless the heart is like code for, oh, you're such an idiot, you know? I wish you could get married, and why aren't you married yet? And so they wouldn't even speak behind his back. They would do this to his face. And I remember him uh, talking to me about one of the encounters. Oh, bless your heart. You know, uh, it's, it's okay, honey. It's okay because, you know, you're next. You'll be next. And so I wish I was quick on my feet because I remember the counsel I gave him at that time was just to sort of, God's got a bigger plan and live it. But if I would have counseled him at this point, I would have told him to go to those same older ladies and the next funeral he was at that he saw them at <laughs> is to literally just look at them and say, oh, bless your heart, honey. You'll be next. Right? I just, I wish I was quicker. Jesus forgive me, right? But it's important to note that in this story, in the Bible story that we're reading about Elizabeth and Zechariah, there is nothing wrong with them. There is no story we need to try to even make up. In fact, the Bible is speaking to the complete opposite of that because it says they were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments. These two are not cursed, but I'm sure they had a lot of the questions that you and I would. I'm sure they had the questions of, God, what have we done wrong? What's wrong with us? Why not us? Verse 8 and 9. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Just some context here. There were different divisions of priests, all right? They rotated through the offering sacrifices in the temple. 
And so upon this rotation, one of the priests was chosen by the rolling of dice by one, and then they would get to go into the very holy of holies and offer incense before God. Keep in mind that the, there were thousands of priests, so this was just like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of opportunity, and the lot falls on Zechariah, verse 11 through 13. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Now, a quick side note on angels here. Because this is a scene that we need to take to heart when we talk about encountering angels. This is, this is a biblical perspective on what it's like to encounter an angel. 72% of Americans believe in angels. About 44% say they have experienced one. Now, disclaimer, I am one of the ones that is going to tell you I have not experienced an encounter with an angelic being. So I don't have experience to maybe comment on this. But our everyday encounters that you read in this but our about or everyday encounters that others have seem to be a little le less um, grandiose than what we read in the Bible. And it starts with our kid books even, right? Because every angel in our kid books, it looks like a little fat Pillsbury Doughboy with wings kind of deal, right? And that's sort of how it plays out. But the encounters, I don't know if you've checked these out. I was reading in a nationwide magazine. They did a survey on some of these encounters. Several people were saying that they would encounter angels and those angels were brought to help them find a parking space, which is absolutely the worst job if you're an angel, that you would literally be looking to find someone a parking spot, right? Some others in the article, they claim that the angel helped them make their chicken casserole. Another person said the angel helped them lose weight, and they even wrote a book called <laughs> The Angel's Little Diet Book. I'm only laughing because I'm going to ask Santa for that book for Christmas. <laughs> now, I don't want to comment on if these stories are true, okay? Probably not, but I don't, but here's the deal. I know this. When we see an angel in the Bible, the response is generally that people are terrified, that people are in awe. The angel's first response is usually, no, 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 don't die. It's okay, fear not. I'm here sent by God. It's not usually, oh, no, you should add a little of this to make your casserole better, right? <laughs> so here's what the angel tells Zechariah. Catch this. God has heard your prayer your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. This is a monumental moment, church. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're going to have a son, and this is the most unexpected thing that could have come into their life at this point. Their son is going to be John the Baptist, and what makes this arrival so big is that John the Baptist would be the one that was, that was fulfilling prophecy. He's going to be the front man for a nation's repentance. He's going to get this, prepare the way for an even greater son. 
He's getting ready to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so Zechariah connected with this angelic being in this crazy monumental moment. Zechariah verse 18 says to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? Doesn't mean it won't. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't. Now, it doesn't mean it will happen, but it also doesn't mean it won't happen. And it doesn't mean... How? How can I be sure this will happen? And it's an almost like, I don't believe you. And we'd have to hear how, what tone he took with it. But I have to imagine the tone is, can you be sure? Because year after year, we've prayed. And we've asked God, and there's been no answer. And so now that we're advanced in years, now you're telling me that we're going to have a child. Where were you, angel, in, in our 30s? Where were you in our 40s? And I think it helps us to talk about disappointment as we dig into this a little bit. Let's talk about this for a minute. If we were to do an autopsy or a forensic analysis of disappointment, here's what I think we'd find at its root, that it springs forth from faulty assumptions. Disappointment springs forth from faulty assumptions. And there's a few faulty assumptions that Zechariah might be dealing with here right now because he might assume that God had abandoned Elizabeth and him. That's, that's a maybe. But what we know that he's definitely assuming is that he's too old to pull this off. He wants some proof to see how this is going to be accomplished. And so not only are Zechariah and Elizabeth dealing with the disappointment that they had, the, the, the presence of no children, but now this angel might be stirring up a new disappointment because maybe they had moved on. Maybe they had blocked out in their mind or just sort of had settled in their mind of how to live with this no child, live with the pain of no child. And so this new disappointment becomes rooted in those same false assumptions that started for them to begin with. Not me. Why me? God can't. God wouldn't. And so do you notice how Zechariah is experiencing unexpected disappointment based on inaccurate information? Catch this. You and I do the same thing all the time. You and I all do the same thing all the time when it comes to our disappointments. They're generally rooted or built around false assumptions. The stories we tell ourselves about how God must think about us or how he must think about the way I'm living my life, how he perceives I'm living my life, what he feels about me when I do something, when I don't do something. What false assumptions are you making about God? What false assumptions are you making about God? The story that you've told yourself about how God perceives you and then now your projection on God is what is defining who God is. Because it's important for us to address those false assumptions, to dissect them, to see where they receive power from. Because if this guy, who told himself for a long time that God is a distant God, God is distant and he doesn't want to know about my small or large disappointments. And I told myself that story, but I grew up without a father. 
And so that perpetuated me looking at an earthly father and his choices and projecting them on a heavenly father and what his choices must be for my life. Or what story are you telling yourself? The disappointments. Oh, disappointment by God's will in my life. It's not really going the way I expected. Well, was what you were hoping for actually God's will? Or was that a you thing? Was that your hope? Was that your wishful thinking? Or perhaps you've had the question, oh, I'm just so disappointed right now because this isn't taking place right now, and merely this is actually a conversation around a time issue with God. Maybe it's just not his timing. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't. See, there's disappointment in John chapter 11. Two sisters, Mary and Martha, they want Jesus to heal their brother of his sickness. And so the Bible says, although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, their brother, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, I'm just going to state the obvious because when I read that, that sounds weird to me. Jesus loved them, but he didn't do anything. That's weird. The Bible states clearly the request was urgent. Please come, God. He's very sick. Our brother, your dear friend is sick. He needs you. He's in really bad shape. Come and help him out. And Jesus, who says he loved them, he loved them all, didn't go. He didn't even say, I'll be there in a few. He waited And Jesus would, in fact, heal Lazarus, not only of the sickness that afflicted him, but of the death that came in result of the sickness. But catch this. Christ was up to something bigger than what Mary and Martha could even imagine. He said no to what they asked for to do something that they didn't even have faith to think for. They didn't have faith to think about that. It wasn't even in their their mind's eye to ask Christ for what he was going to do. And so in the midst of their disappointment, the false assumptions they were making about Christ, he was ready to do something bigger in their life. He was ready to do something greater. And so we tell ourselves the story, well, Jesus doesn't love me. Jesus doesn't love us. He, He wasn't there when we really needed him. He wasn't there and he didn't actually care. He said he cared, but he didn't really actually care. And so what we've done is we've allowed our false assumptions projecting on a holy God and that has now built this story and this snowball and it's made your disappointment even that much larger. Your disappointment has now snowballed and it's stronger and it's stronger. And guess what it builds on? It builds on limiting the God of the universe. You have now limited God and what he may want to do, what he can do, what he's promised to do. But our limitations now have put this ceiling on what God, he wants the same thing that he gave Mary and Martha because he's trying to prompt them and guide them and help them to pause and see the bigger picture. He wants them to see him as bigger than the category they had put him in in their mind. And so he'd say no to something that they asked for to give them something far greater that they wouldn't even have faith to think for. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't. Back to verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. (laughs) He says that he's an old man but his wife is also well along in years. And this is the beauty of the Bible. When you break that phraseology down, it's a much stronger phrase for simply old. Zechariah is like, I'm old, 
but my wife, she's old. She is old. When she sneezes, dust comes out. Her birth certificate says expired on it. If you told her to act her age, she would die. That's a little dad humor for you this morning. All right, sorry, sorry. When the Bible says you're old, you're old. The angel answers Zechariah's question. Catch this. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel, which is a big deal. It's like someone coming up to you, complete stranger, but they look like a star, and they're like, I am Jason Bourne, but it's times one million, right? I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. And the angel must have been, really, Zechariah? Just a minute ago, you were wetting your pants in sheer awe of my presence, of encountering me, and now you want to ask the question, how can I be sure this will happen? Write this down. Unexpected disappointments, they'll lead to your doubt. They can lead to your doubt, those unexpected disappointments. Isn't it interesting how we all go through this journey of an on-again, off-again experience with our search for God? And that can be hot and cold at times. Hopefully it's running hot. Hopefully it's running hot more often than not but we've all wrestled with our doubts. And that's an okay thing because some of us, we actually see the spiritual doubts or the questions we have, we see those as enemies to Jesus Christ, our enemies in our relationship with Jesus. And so sometimes our gut response is to run far away from those questions we have, we pretend they aren't there, and we keep doing whatever we've been doing. But I hope that we, we're encouraged by Zechariah here because the guy is standing in front of an angel and he's still questioning how God could do something so dramatic in his life. There's a little irony here. An angel that is sent by the Lord, sent to bring this great news. Yeah, well, how can I be sure? Right? Our unexpected disappointments, they'll lead to our doubts. Doubts that God is not near. That sometimes he feels near, but not always. And then other times, uh, maybe God's just gone elsewhere. And so this roller coaster is, it's hard. It's hard on our heart and our soul because we don't have this consistent experience of his presence. Let's be honest, some of us have never had a deep experience with God. And that's soul crushing to us. It can be so disheartening. But let me share with us this morning, I don't think we understand what's happening. We think God either presents himself to us or he doesn't. Either he presents himself to us or he doesn't. And so it's why we get so frustrated with even a Zechariah here. The angel of God is right in front of you, Zech. <laughs> you, should, you should be grateful that he's sort of telling you what next steps to take. And, and, and you're getting to do this in real time. And it's because we think God presents himself to us or he doesn't, according to some rules of a spiritual game, that we really aren't entirely sure of how we're playing or why we're playing it in the first place. And so we go about our days looking for the next appearance. And we're like these stargazers that are looking for that shooting star, or I hope I come to service on a Sunday and just like it's last Sunday. But then Monday through Saturday, I don't know if I'm really ever going to engage with him. And you need to know this morning that God is at your side right now. In fact, even better than being at your side right now, God is with in you right now. The God of the universe is in you. That's what he promised us with the Holy Spirit. 
John 14, 16 through 20, Jesus, I will ask the Father and he will give another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads to all truth. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Ephesians 3, 17, Christ will make his home in your heart. That's the scripture. That's the truth. That's the word. Colossians 1.27. This is the secret. This is the, this is the secret sauce. This is it. This is the good stuff. Christ lives in you. That's the power of the word. That's the truth of the word. And so go ahead and doubt your circumstances. God can wear all that. His shoulders are big enough to hold that way. But never doubt that Christ has abandoned you. Never doubt that Christ is for you. You can clap for that. Please clap for that. He is both around us and within us. And what I love is that sometimes God will even go as far to grant us the favor of resetting us. Because for Zechariah, he's ready to give him a timeout. Remember, Zechariah is saying, how can I be sure And he's not seeing the most important thing right in front of his face. And so the angel comes back with verse 20. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. And all parents said, yes, this is the biblical account for timeouts. That's why we want to give them to our kids all the time, right? The first recorded ever timeout, God's like, go to your room, no TV, no cell phones. I want you to think. I want you to weigh this moment and all of the moments of your life. Now, it's a long timeout. For nine months, he can't speak. Zechariah has time in this timeout, nine months, to see what's really taking place, what God has been doing and forming in his life. And you may be thinking, well, that's unwarranted. That's, that's why is he doing that in, in the midst of his doubt? I mean, to be fair, I, I, I'll defend Zechariah. To be fair, he had this deep wound, God, right? The angel is speaking about hope in an area where Zechariah and his wife have only experienced pain and disappointment. But it's Zechariah's refusal to believe that is arising out of that past hurt. It's his refusal to believe all that has been true and is true for his life. And so while God is all about helping a troubled soul, that's exactly what the God we serve, don't forget that he's still God. And while he wants to help the troubled soul, he's also going to be the one that's ultimately driving the bus. And in driving the bus, he's looking to redirect Zechariah's gaze. And it's redirecting and saying that those past disappointments, you've gone so far to believe that they trump my promises. And that's not what I have ever intended. I am a sovereign God. And so God showed him a little love by giving him some space to consider his options. It's time to reframe some things. Take some time uh, to to reevaluate, to take a time out. And you may feel like God's punishing you, but it's the exact opposite when he gives you those opportunities. Because sometimes we need to take time to see what we really believe. I want you to write this down. Belief is a choice. Belief is a choice. See, you can choose to be disappointed in God. You can choose that. 
and be disappointed in about the, how he's framing the unexpected circumstances and how all this goes. You can choose to grow in your doubt of if God exists, if he's going to be present in your unexpected situations. And you know what else you can choose? You can choose to believe. You can choose to believe what we just read a few minutes ago in the promises of God and how that, what he says in that he will never leave or abandon us is all true. You can choose to believe in the goodness of a great God. And I, I just want to share with you, there have been innumerable times in this past year where in the midst of my circumstances, I found myself walking off in a quiet time, in just a walk, and bouncing things off of the Lord and really having these times where I knew, I knew it was very emphatic that Christ was saying, believe me, Brandon, just believe me. I know you don't understand. I know you want two plus two to equal four, but believe me. Believe me that I'm doing something for your greater good. And it was this direct command that I just feel like I, I know God was present and in that. And it's so simple, but it cut me straight to the core of those problems because either my wayward emotions were trying to dictate the circumstances or I was completely arrested by my attention and settling to not believe in God in that moment and trying to believe more in myself. Nor was I operating from this position of really just believing in God because belief is a choice. See, we wait to be struck by lightning. Or we wait for that epiphany. And listen, hear my heart, please, with this. I am the guy that is so pro-counseling. I am pro-therapy. I am pro-self-awareness. That's a journey I've personally taken, so I can speak experientially on this. But catch this. In our therapeutic age, we have become so self-conscious, so deeply entangled in our own experience that we think belief is also an experience. That belief also is something that we mostly feel. It's not. Belief is not something you feel. It's first and foremost an act of will. You choose to believe. Why else would Jesus handle the doubts of his dear friend Thomas? Do you remember what he said to doubting Thomas and the command he gave him? He said, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas had a decision to make in that moment, a decision that he was quite capable of making, that God knew he was quite capable of making, and he was waiting for him to make it. Thomas and his experience was waiting on that choice. And belief can only be rewarded if it's something that we choose. Because you don't reward your child for finishing their homework if you did it for them. That's not how that works. Belief is something we set ourselves to. It's something we practice. And so when a disappointment takes place, you can choose to believe that God has good for you, even in that disappointment. That God's good is greater than even you could imagine in that disappointment, no matter what that disappointment is. That's choice you can make. That's a choice that's on you. And so sometimes we have to remember that he's given us belief as this choice. And it's really this beautiful, precious possession because God is also committed to deepening and strengthening that. 
The more you choose to believe, the more he's going to show up in revealing his nature and who he really is to you. Not your projections, but who he is through his word and the power of his word. So sometimes God, again, we need that time out to reset. We need to consider things deeply to grow in that belief, to become confident. But check this out in the story. As Zechariah must have been growing, taking some time, taking in what God was doing, seeing all around him, especially for a nine-month period. Write this last thought down. God will never waste a disappointment or a doubt. God will never waste a disappointment or a doubt. Here's where the story goes. Scroll down to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. It's a little different, but okay. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. That's what the angel had told her, remember? What, they exclaimed? There's no one in all your family by that name. And so they used gestures to ask the baby's father, Zechariah, what he wanted to name him. And he motioned from a writing tablet. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. The reason that's powerful is because Zechariah had a nine-month time out to be able to see the power of what God was doing in his life. It looked like our boys learned something in those nine months. Because he didn't fight that name. It wasn't about him anymore. It wasn't about his lineage. It wasn't about him and his favor. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was at work. He knew that God's presence had always been there, that it was there yesterday, that it was there today, and it was going to be there forever. He knew because of this encounter with God. He knew God was for him and Elizabeth. And it might have been a surprise to everyone else, but not to Zechariah. His name's John. And then catch this, verse 64. And instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. He began praising God. <laughs> Pent-up worship explodes out of our brother because he had a timeout and a refocus and a reframing. And so he sat there. And he didn't watch in silence. He began praising and being excited about what God was doing. And he learned something, even in that moment, about the gospel, that God will never waste a disappointment or a doubt. He will never waste that. And so I want to pause this morning, because there's someone here today, or there's someone watching online, that today is your day to put your belief in Jesus Christ, to put your trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Maybe that's been a, a, a thing you've been waiting on. Maybe today there's just something the Lord spoke to you through a song, through this message that makes more sense. I'm speaking to you today because you need to know that your disappointments and your doubts are not wasted on a great, great God that wants to take those and redeem those and be sovereign with those and build those into your story of power and purpose and meaning. And so if you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today, I'm going to pray a prayer right now that's specific to that. I would ask that you pray this silently in your heart as I pray it aloud. Jesus, thank you that you are a God that conquers disappointments, that you conquer doubts, 
And Jesus, that you came to save me. I am asking today that you would come into my life, that you would come into my heart, that I would build a relationship with you, Jesus, because I am putting my faith and trust in you as the sole person that can transform my life, as the sole individual that can make me new and forgive me of my sins and that can use my life for your power and your purposes. I give my life to you today. And I thank you, Jesus, for sending your son. Thank you for dying for me, Jesus. Thank you for making that way that only a God could. Now, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus today, he's keeping his promise to you. And we want to help out. We want to get you some resources. Please come find us. We'd love to get you a Bible. We'd love to help you take some of those next steps. And for the rest of us that have made that decision where Jesus Christ is living in you now. He is not just near you. He's not just by you today. He is with you in the power of the Holy Spirit. For those of us that have our own disappointments, that are living in those right now, know that God is not wasting them. That belief is a choice. And that we have an opportunity to look at the God, the God of yesterday, the God of today, and the God of forever. And that is the one thing, that is the one thing we can count on. That he is making a way for each and every one of us. I got to share the end of that story. We were leaving and we're getting ready to head home. I'm with my starter jacket and I'm in complete awe of this great moment that I got the present that I wanted. And what I didn't come to realize until we're exiting as my grandpa's giving hugs and kisses as everyone's heading out is that he was also bawling during that moment. He was crying his eyes out too because he was living vicariously through his grandson in this special moment of just giving good gifts for his kids because he loves his kids. And Christ is that way with each and every one of you. He loves you so dearly and so deeply. And this Christmas season, he wants to reveal that in a special new dynamic way. So would you let the giver of good gifts come into your heart and come into your life and change your world? Because that's exactly what he'll do. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for being the God that conquers our disappointments and our doubts. That you are the God that says, hey, maybe not yet. Maybe... I have made my decision for another time, but I'm up to something and I'm doing something in your life. And so, Lord, grow our belief. We choose to believe in you, God, just as much as we can choose all of the other things to be disappointed or to doubt or to fear. We are choosing collectively as the people of God of Northern Hills to believe in the resurrected, risen Savior, the Savior that is alive today the Savior that was alive yesterday, the Savior that's going to be alive forever, that's making a way to change hearts and lives, Lord. And we give you our praise, our worship, our Christmas season to say that the unexpected God is expected to do great things because we expect great things of you, God, because of your power and the power of your word that resides in us. Thank you for being present in us. And thank you for this morning. We pray these things in your powerful name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. 
You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.